Yo. Head up, think fast. You're about to feel the blast. It's the dopest podcast on the net. Oh, yeah. All us geeks, fresh your bet. We round the world. We round the net. So get ready and get set. Because we make it look easy. No sweat. Jeff and Jordan, the host. Yeah, they be the best. From the north to the south, to the east, to the west. They cover movies, comics, TV shows, books. These guys gonna get you hooked. Don't stop now, just take a look. And don't forget to sign our Facebook. Cause what they doing is board games, video games. Yeah, they on it. They fly like a comet. Interviews is up. This podcast is pure. Give voice to your inner geek, that's for sure. Geek out any topic. No one ain't gonna ever, ever stop it. So if you wanna go and get it on, then head to allisgeeks.com. Welcome to episode 31 of All Us Geeks. I'm Jeff King. And I'm Jordan Steinhoff. And we're here to give voice to your inner geek. Let me out. <laughs> Just bring it full circle. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to start off with this. You ready? You, you go. You I'm go, going girl. to. This is awesome. <laughs> you didn't get the neck going. Yeah. <laughs> No, I got no, a, no I got you a, just looked wrong. I got a mic in the <laughs> You know, we had some requests to keep the $5 shout out thing mm-hmm. going. So I made a little change on the website and and basically said you can do a $5 shout out. And we got our first one post pledge drive month. So Beer Star Games gets a shout out on episode 31. That's actually all they said. It was like, it would be awesome if you gave us a shout out. But since you were the first ones, <laughs> I did a little research. Uh, Beer Star Games is actually doing Beard, the card game, on Kickstarter right now. So if you want to go check that out. So thanks, guys. Thanks for the uh, shout-out donation. And there you go. Beer Star Games. Speaking of Pledge Drive Month, it's over. Many, many people are happy. Many, many more are. Many. Impatient. <laughs> yeah, there's that. <laughs> Made it 30 days of podcasting. That was crazy. Crazy rough. But Some yeah. Some people would like you to do it again. I know. A lot of people. That's weird to me. I'm sorry. I mean, I appreciate it, but that's weird. It's just like, it was just me talking. <laughs> just rambling on a daily basis. Of course, some people said stop rambling. So it balances out. There's, there's no ego there, definitely. There's no ego building, definitely. <laughs> Must have been Megan boosting your stats again. <laughs> but no, that was a lot of fun. It was a it was a major challenge and it was kind of fun to do and got through it. And the part that I thought would be the hardest time for me to do it wasn't it. It was previous to that. It was it was work. <laughs> it wasn't the weekend we went away, which was a lot of fun, by the way. I'll talk about that maybe in a minute here too. No, you already did. Twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's that was good too, actually. Um so yeah, we went to Crypticon. And that was when I thought I was going to have the hardest time recording, but we actually did a pretty, pretty good job there. But post-Crypticon, I know a lot of people heard some of the things that Megan and I weren't real thrilled about there, although we had a good time overall. They actually asked for a lot of feedback on Facebook, which was cool. They, they're open to feedback, which is nice to see. And I started giving them our feedback, and I finally just said, you know what, if you want to hear it, here's the podcast where Megan and I actually talk about it at Crypticon, so you can hear it exactly as as it happened to us. And uh, 
out of that, suddenly I'm on a committee for next year to potentially bring horror-themed board gaming to Crypticon, this horror convention. And they've also asked me if I knew anybody that could help them out with anime. And I said, I, I might know a guy. So uh, I talked to Don about it. He said he's willing to at least talk to him and see what they want. So, you know, there you go. Just uh, doing this and not being afraid to, you know, that, that's the thing. And I told him straight up is like, if I didn't, if I wasn't passionate about it and I didn't care, uh, I wouldn't even bother with the feedback. I mean, understand I had a good time in the end, but I care enough that it's something I potentially may want to keep doing that I'll, I'll offer you feedback. Otherwise I'd have just walked away and said, screw it. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so, so, I'm on some gaming committee now. Again. Apparently with uh, one of the guys that owns uh, Your Mom's Basement, too, out in the cities. That's interesting. Maybe I'll get to talk to him next year. Well, if it's a committee, you should be talking to him before next year. Mm. (laughs) At this point, I'm like, oh, somebody that owns a game store. Here you go. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be in the back. And again, speaking of the pleasure, we we raised a lot of money, so thanks a lot, everybody. We raised over $300 in donations. I'll get the final figure here soon. But just off of donations on the website, actually, it was almost 400 I think, if I remember right, the final total. That's what I saw in the last update. Yeah, just shy of 400 And then as it sits right now, if everybody pays and all that good stuff, the auctions are just shy of 300 Oh, but I got to say, um, it actually might hit 300 Brian, hey, how's it going, Brian? Uh, when I got a hold of him about what he owes, he's just like, Hey, how about I throw you another four bucks to make that even? So thanks, Brian. That'd be kind of cool. Appreciate it. So, uh, once I get all that done and once I know what we actually get, cause again, anything off the auctions, we're giving 3% to board game geek, which again, I'm going to talk about in a second. And then we're going to give, you know, PayPal fees, Count to 10, no, no, Count no, no, to 10. No. and then we'll have our final total and I'll, I'll share that again. Hopefully by next episode, it should be able to do that. Speaking of which, we also need to do some planning for the special podcast. We've got several people that uh, are on board for a special podcast. And I think that's part of the reason why Brian Brian's like, and I want to make sure I got the special podcast. <laughs> so, so there is a little bit of that too. But we got we got you, Brian. Let's just a, do a two-hour Google Hangout. Let's just let's just put out an hour of silence. <laughs> <laughs> just every once in a while, it's coming. Wait for it. <laughs> That's what she said. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Board Game Geek. I have a very massive love-hate relationship going on with them right now. And I have a podcast, so I get to vent at least a little bit about it. <laughs> Good Lord. All right. Eventually, somebody in Denmark will hear this. I don't care. They're up to 10. <laughs> Not that I don't care. I mean, I, just, <laughs> I, I don't care who hears it. I want Denmark to listen. Actually, you know, here tangent. We'll be back in a second. <laughs> uh, After the break. Minnesota took top spot for downloads and have been holding steady. And California overtook Texas. Texas, what's up? Canada, what's up? Australia has been ahead <laughs> of you consistently. For over a month now, and the the gap is getting wider. It's, I believe it was into double digits the last time I checked. So uh, put down your poutine, turn off uh, <laughs> Hockey Night in Canada on a Saturday night. It's just going to be the Leafs losing in horrible, heartbreaking ways. You know, take your three <laughs> minutes to listen to Don Cherry, then turn our podcast back on. <laughs> By the way, did you hear the final pledge drive? I had you guest, uh, guest star again. Oh, no, no. <laughs> At the very beginning, I put your pledge drive 
No, I didn't listen to the last one. You bastard. All that work I put into wow. it, you couldn't even listen to the last one. So I, I listened to 29 and I missed one. What are you, my dad? And I did 30. <laughs> you got four A's and a B. Why did you get a B? Get in the closet with a cart carton of cigarettes and I'm going to beat you when I get home. But it was four A's, but a B. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, yeah, Jordan and I, in the grand scheme of things, we don't care about numbers. But we do stock the stats and we find the info behind the data behind the numbers interesting. So yeah, we watch things like which state is ahead and all that stuff. It's, we're weird that way. <laughs> it's like, oh, we didn't get as many downloads. Eh, so what? But look at what Canada's doing right now. <laughs> Although we did get good numbers last month. But of course we had you a lot put more. Out 30 days worth of content. We had a lot more stuff out. <laughs> okay, so back to Board Game Geek. <laughs> Squirrel. Squirrel. So the auction's over, and I've not taken money from anybody because I wanted to make sure we were ready. And when I started taking money, we were shipping stuff out. I didn't want anybody to wait. I didn't want anybody to think that we took off with their money. Uh, so I haven't accepted any money yet. So today I finally started gathering addresses and all that stuff. I talked to a couple people because they got concerned. We've got a good amount of addresses so far. But I got a lovely... Geek mail today. Now I was I, ha- I was talking to another admin on Board Game Geek uh, and asked a couple of questions on how things go and basically said, you know, this is my first auction that I'm not donating to. I'm actually running. So how do I do this? How do I do this? So apparently I'm walking through steps and doing some communication, right? I mean, I'm not full blown. Today, here's what I did. Okay, today I'm talking to you. <laughs> it's the only thing I get to do with the auction today. And of course, I'm working a full time job and everything else, and we've been, no been recording stuff and whatnot. So, so I get a, a different admin today contact me to say if I either have to give them my plan for how I'm cleaning this up, or they're restricting my account on Board Game Geek. I got a little instantly pissed because again, I know damn well nobody's complaining to them that I've ran off with their money because <laughs> I haven't accepted any. Uh, so, I mean, I, in, in a way I can kind of understand it. I mean, you know, they're, they're looking for their cut and if somebody tries to not give them their cut, I can get that. But again, I've done a little bit of communication. I mean, you know, I originally had this set up so we could run it straight through our website and not give anybody a cut besides the Jack Vassal Memorial fund, but at the end of the day, but we thought, ah, eh, you know, they've got some infrastructure in place and we can give back to the board game geek community. That was the overall thinking. Now I'm pissed. <laughs> now I'm like, okay, so apparently I was supposed to take like two days off when the auction ended or, I mean, you know what I mean? It's just like, that irks me because we're not even a week. We're into the first week that it's been over. I th- I think I'm all right. And look at the amount of amount of stuff that we sold. And it's a, it's one, okay, it's two people because Megan's been helping me out the last couple of days to get it all packed up in my damn living room. Looks like a UPS facility at the moment. The package is all over the living room, which she'll be so happy when we get those mailed out. But it's just been the two of us trying to get it done, and it's like, give me a break. I mean, that's that's a lot of stuff. We're getting we're getting it out, and again, haven't taken a dime for any, from anybody yet because wanted to make sure we could ship it. Get off my back. Love you, BGG. <laughs> Sometimes. Oh man, you know, you and I talked about this the other day too. Pre-orders on cool stuff. Yeah, I, I counted them up today. I have five. 
So yes, I'm not ordering anything else until at least one pre-order comes to me. <laughs> I only have three left, like I said, one free. I started in April with pretty much one, at least one every month through the end of 2013. <laughs> All right. Should we review something? Yeah. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Game review. So, Jordan, you're uh, taking the lead on this whole bad boy. What are we reviewing today? We are reviewing from Privateer Press, High Command, both the War Machine and the Hordes edition, because they are essentially the same game. <laughs> Unlike in the minis games where there is a minor difference between Focus and Fury, the two card games are exactly the same, mm -hmm. just thematically different. So this is a deck-building game set in the Iron Kingdoms. If you're familiar with the Iron Kingdoms RPG or the uh, War Machine and Hordes minis games, this is the same universe, same fluff, and it's now totally in the cardboard format. Can I ask you a quick question? I don't guarantee a quick answer. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it necessarily will be, but why are you not interested in the Iron Kingdoms RPG at all? I'm just curious, because I remember you mentioning that once before, and once you said that, it triggered to me. There's just nothing there that looked, okay, and this is just the answer as somebody that's never actually played it. Mm -hmm. All the stuff they did, their initial, the the you know, all their spoiling, or the reveals, I guess, it's not really spoiling. There's just nothing there that really intrigued me. The core of the minis game is the Warcaster running all their stuff. Uh, it, it just doesn't strike me as something that translated well to paper and pencil. All right. I was just curious because I own it. And, Somebody wants to make a character for you know, me. and Jordan you know, Kenobi, you're my only hope. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I have no hope. I think Todd up in Roch might yeah. be running it. Talk to him on a game day, see if he wants to do something. Yeah, you know how our schedules go so well for RPGs lately. <laughs> hey, we got one in two months ago. <laughs> All right. I was just curious because, like I said, you said that and it triggered the, me remembering you saying one time on the podcast how it wasn't your thing or something like something. Yeah, there was just that. nothing there that really drew me in. You know, it just looked like another system and another game and, you know, only so many days left in my life. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> that got dark quick. <laughs> On a sad note. Uh, so yeah, this is a deck building game. It's two separate boxes. There's one for War Machine and there's one for Hordes. Hordes had a slight early release at Gen Con, but I believe the actual official release is not until this month. Actually, we're on, what, the 8th or the 9th now? So it might actually be out. I don't remember the Eat. October date, but I'm fairly certain it will be out this month if it is not yet. So each box comes with four factions. On the War Machine side, you've got Signar, Kador, Crix, and the Protectorate of Menoth. On the Horde side, you have Trollbloods, Scorn, Legion of Everbroken, and Circle Orbros. And it's, uh, you know, it's a deck builder, but it's very different in all its mechanics from most deck builders that I've played. It does all the same stuff that you'd expect in a deck builder. You get resources, there are resources that you choose from, but how it does it is very different. So if you're familiar with the fluff of either of those two games, you're going to recognize most of the nomenclature in the cards, many of the unit names, the warcasters or warlock names, you know, all their special abilities, all that's going to be familiar to you. And as with all deck builders, there is a victory condition you're working to, but this one is very simple. It's uh, victory points, uh, much like Dominion, getting the most provinces, estates and whatnot. 
This is just straight up contesting locations until either your locations run out or you get to the end point in the Winds of War deck. The end condition, I should say. And then the person with the most victory points wins. As with most deck builders, there's uh, different types of things you can buy. There's resource cards, and then there's units. Uh, there's no interrupts. There's no uh, blue cards like in Dominion. There's nothing that's really going to interrupt somebody else's turn. But what it does have is some very well-thought-out mechanics, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going a little out of order here, but it's the mechanics for this game that really stick in my mind more so than anything else. Each faction has five Warcasters, and each Warcaster has two color bars on them. And these color bars denote detachments that you build your deck with. So there's six, I think, detachments for each faction, each with a different color. And this is how they kind of thematically build your redundancy here, theme lists from uh, the minis game. You know, these warcasters are known to build with infantry. These like their jacks. These warlocks like their beasts. These ones like their constructs kind of a thing. This is how they build them. So you start with five warcasters. You select three. From those three, you will select one of those colored attachments, and you will take one one color from each warlock or warcaster to build your deck. So you're going to end up with a 36-card deck based on these three colors. You're going to have your warlocks or or, or warcasters that uh, kind of sit separately until you use them, and then your three detachments go to create your, your deck. So rather than most of the games that I've played where you just have your starting pool of cards and then you buy, you're selecting all you're going to use for this game how it comes up then is based on the randomness of how you shuffle and that's for you it's not like a public yes each player has its own faction each player is going to build their own detachments to make their own reserves and then you're going to deal out or reveal for your reserves four cards you're always going to have four cards up in front of you and those are what you're going to buy uh you can cycle them a little bit through different game mechanics but those are basically you're always going to have four cards face up in front of you and then each faction starts with their basic deck. It's worth noting that I use the deck, the term deck incorrectly, but it's just habit. Your, <laughs> your reinforcements deck is reinforcements and then your deck deck is your deck. And this has 12 cards in it and it's your basic starting resources, you know, your seven black, your, your seven copper kind of a thing. And then on each player's turn, they will use their resources to either Buy more resources, better resources, stuff that gives you more points to use, or buy units, whether it's uh, infantry or war beasts or war jacks. And this is one of the really critical points of the game for me. Every round, it seems like there's a decision because resources are so tight. You can buy and put stuff right in your hand. You can play from your hand to a location. Or you can, one of their terms is rush. You can rush right from your reserves to a location. But it just seemed, and maybe I'm just really poor on resource management, (laughs) you never have quite enough resources to do absolutely everything that you want to do on a turn. And I think that's that's the the high point of the game for me, is the decision-making on what you're going to do every turn with your resources. Because that's going to lead to your success or your failure in combat if you mismanage your resources. And the turn order is... And this, the first time I played it, this, this took me like one round to get through. You start off the game with capturing. First two rounds of the game, you're not allowed to capture, so that doesn't do anything. Then you move into your player phase where you're going to buy your cards or rush your cards or deploy your cards and bank any leftover card that you want and do all your standard, you know, buy and discard stuff. 
And then there's combat. Combat is really straightforward, but it comes after capture. So it took me one, one round to get through that because not only does capture come first, you don't actually have to be, uh, you don't have to have sole control of the location you're disputing to capture it. To capture a location, you just have to have more than, uh, two more units, uh, than any other player there and you capture it. So it's not an elimination from an area. It's just overwhelming force. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, even for some of the more combat related stuff like legendary or the DC deck builder where you're theoretically engaging in combat with your deck building, this is also fairly different. It's not, it's not elimination. It's just, uh, it's overwhelm. And I like that as well. It's mechanically quite sound. Like I said, there's three phases, capture, player turn, and combat. And each one is really well laid out. Like I said, uh, on the first two rounds, and this, I guess, is just to, uh, help each player or require each player to build up. You can't uh, start contesting a location, and you can't capture. So your first two uh, rounds, you're just going to stick with your orders, where you're going to have cards that either grant you command points or warjack points. And each unit or resource that you can buy takes some combination of that. Now, all your cards are also going to grant you some combination of that, even after you've bought them. So if you buy a warjack for five warjack points... It might also be worth three Warjack points to buy something. So you buy that, goes into your deck. A couple turns later, it comes back out. Do you want to play it as a Warjack? Or do you want to use those three points to buy a better resource or to get out an even bigger unit rather than putting out a couple weenies? Use your couple weenies to get out a bigger unit. And uh, that that is, uh, that is true for all the cards. Uh, everything provides resources and everything takes resources to get out. And that is also really appealing to me because it's not just a matter of, uh, like in Dominion, for instance, you get your engine going, as long as you're getting your cards in the right order, you just bam, 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 and everything goes down. And there you're working to get your engine going. Here, the resource management is a little bit more critical. And I think that's really uh, a cool mechanic. I agree with that. It's a very tight, I mean, you always, like you said, you always feel like you've got to, you've got to make a decision on what's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I do like that. Uh, it does make for a little more AP and a little more second guessing sometimes, which is fine. I mean, it, 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 as long as it doesn't get crazy. Uh, but I like that feeling that we got, it w- or at least that I got, and was like, I've got a Warjack in my hand. Is this the round I need to put it out? Or do I really want the War Command resource that is for, and then there's also and, and everything. Every card has war and command. Some of them don't have a zero. Have one of them zeroed out, so they're only good for one. But those things that have both, you, you're really you've really got to make that flow. You've got to kind of do that flow chart. It's like okay, well, I I need war if I really want to put this out, and to get that properly, crap, I got to use this card. So and, you know, so there's all of that decision making to get the most efficient use out of your hand, right? And get that stuff out. And, you know, do you pull cards in? Do I put cards on a location? Do I, do I wipe? Do I, do I give up a card to replenish a card so I can see something different off the deck, which is another random card that may not be what I want to see. But, you know, so all of those little things, I think it it works really well in this game. Mm -hmm. It's a tight mechanic. Definitely. Yeah. So you spend your player turn deciding, like you said, you know, what you're not going to get done. But whereas in some games that we've played, 
you know, that feels like a kick in the shorts. This one, it, it doesn't necessarily seem like punishment. Yeah, you're not going to get everything done that you want, right. but it doesn't feel punitive at all. It's just, you know. No, you, you very much can tell everybody's having that reaction. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. it's not like you're like, Oh crap. Obviously I screwed up and this guy is suddenly is like, bam, 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 bam. You know, like you said, the engine, the Dominion engine. Yeah. Like, Oh crap. I, I just got crap out of my hand. So I can't do anything. Well, I'm going to watch Jordan just cycle his deck. <laughs> you, that you, everybody's in the same boat in this one. There is no massive. Yep. I'm cycling through my deck. All my cards are out. Here you go. I think the other thing that, uh, we haven't gotten there, but talking about the gameplay too, one of the things that's kind of interesting and part of the mechanics side of things, I, I, we'll come back to components. We're already in, in mechanics, but yeah, one of the cool things about mechanically too is again, keeping this a tight game is when you're successful at capturing a location, you lose those cards. Mm-hmm. You lose those units. You can't use them for the rest of the game. So that's another thing you always got. I mean, you can dogpile a location but you're going to lose everything you dogpiled on that location if you if you successfully capture it. Yeah, that's that's one of the that's one of the capture mechanics. If you lose combat, your stuff goes to your discard pile. But when it gets to the capture phase, if you capture that location, what you've used to capture it goes to an out of the game pile. So you capture it. So you have to balance: Are you gonna are you gonna weenie rush something with a bunch of inexpensive stuff? Uh, and save your, your big stuff for other locations or pay for stuff. Or are you going to commit, you know, to three big things and, uh, risk losing them? There's a couple locations that let you move stuff around and there's, you know, a couple warjacks that have stuff that let you yeah. move stuff around. But once you've taken a location, you get the location, which is good for resources in your discard pile, but then you lose those cards. Mm-hmm. So you're always balancing. Yeah. It's a cull. It thins your deck. But are you thinning really good stuff? So yeah. that's your decision you have to make every every combat yeah. as well. And then the other thing too is the warcasters are not only do they help determine your deck, but you can use each one of those. You can pay a rush cost for them to help you in one combat. Yes. So it's not like I'm paying this rush and it's staying on this location until I claim it or somebody claims it. It's this one-time rush, and then that Warcaster goes out, and you can't use it again. Yeah, and the Warcasters and Warlocks, they have special powers similar to, I guess, to mimic the, the minis in the game. They each give their Warjacks or their war beasts plus one power, mm-hmm. and then they have a power that I assume is supposed to mimic one of their feats on their card or one of their spells uh, that they can cast. Sorsha uh, lets you make everybody's power zero. Irusk says, uh, warriors, not war jacks, mind you, just warrior type keyword figure characters, figures. There's no figures in this game. <laughs> warrior keyword characters can't be destroyed that turn. So the war, the, the warlocks are very important. They can swing a battle your way, but like Jeff said, one round and then they go to your occupying courses where, you know, they're out of the game for the rest of the game. Yeah. And I think the one thing that, and I, it was, it's just me. I, I needed to pay a little more attention. But the whole warrior, warjack, war, the keyword thing kept screwing me up and I kept playing the wrong things. Mm. It's like, okay, oh, no, you can't, you can't, you have to target this guy because you can't defeat my, is like my warriors. You're right, Jeff. Warriors. That's a warjack. Oh, crap. (laughs) So I keyword, not a key syllable. (laughs) Yeah. So that was my thing. And again, that was just me. I mean, I, if I would have paid a little more attention to that, I'd have been better off, but. 
it's just one of those things that you you got to you got to watch in this in this game the special abilities do potentially key off very specific cards mm-hmm. or types of cards and almost every card has sticking with mechanics here a special ability of some sort some have stuff that comes into play or when it comes into play some when it leaves play others during combat Others when you discard the card for a certain thing, like like I said, there I I, know, I remember I had a few cards where because you could use again most cards have both war resource or command resource and command resource. Some only have one or the other, but there are a few cards that even like if you use it for war, you get to trigger this ability. Mm-hmm. So the little things like that too, you got to watch as you're discarding your cards to pay for things. It's like oh wait a minute, I I get something because of this yeah. kind of thing. So mechanically, this is a really sound game, I think. There's there's a lot of good interaction here, and none of it is at all gray. No, I, I agree. I mean, this is very mechanically sound. This The, the game just functions well uh, as it was intended mm-hmm. and is, like we said, very tight and, in a good way. And even, even when you're feeling limited, it's everybody's feeling limited. Yeah. And then after the player turn, the the player turn is, uh, I should say the orders turn phase is combat. And combat is dead simple. It's the easiest part of the game other than capturing, <laughs> you know, the, the, the core of the game is in the, in the orders phase. Combat is really, it's essentially just making sure there's nobody dead when combat starts because there are effects that will reduce uh, uh, a keyword's health to, you know, whatever. And first step of combat is make sure you don't have anybody with zero health. Uh, anybody with zero health at the start of combat is removed. So after that is essentially adding up all your attack power on each side, making sure anybody's special powers are triggering properly. And then combat is simo in a two-player game anyways. Combat is simultaneous. So uh, each side totals up their power and then just decides who on the other side is going to die. It's really simple. There are some effects like shield wall that says if there's nobody, so if there's somebody else there that doesn't have shield wall, you have to kill them first before you go for the shield wall guy. There's cards that say keyword warrior gets plus one health this turn. Stuff like that can stack. So you got to keep track of what people's health are so that the trample is, you know, you're doing your math right. Um, stuff like that. But combat's very simple. It's just, you know, I'm going to kill these dudes and you're going to kill these dudes and then we move on. And the first time I played it, I kept, you know, with the the thought that it was dominance. Mm-hmm. It, you know, you had to eliminate everybody. It took me a couple of rounds to 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 get over that. So part of your in the orders phase is not just where you want to fight, but where you want to make it intimidating for somebody else to go to. Because you know you don't need to, like I said, destroy everybody. You just need to have two more cards than somebody else. Mm-hmm. So combat easy peasy. Again, whatever is destroyed. Goes to your discard pile and be will be recycled. And then in starting in the third turn, two of the mechanics do actually kick in. Starting in the third turn, you can then rush units, which is one of their one of the ways to buy something. Normally, if you pay their purchase cost, it goes to your discard uh, your discard pile, like in a regular deck builder. Not that this is irregular; it just has some really interesting mechanics. But they also have a rush cost, which is Generally fairly expensive compared to their purchase cost, mm-hmm. but it allows you to get them out to a location right away. So starting in the third turn, you can just pay, you know, five for your uh, devastator or 10 to rush it out right away. And that puts something out of a location right away if you have the resources. 
So round three, when it's the first turn you're doing this, not a big advantage. But if you know you've got a bunch of crap out there at one location and you just need that one thing on turn four to turn the tide for you, then rushing starts to look like a really good uh, use of a lot of resources. And then the other thing is, then you can actually capture locations. There's no strength at a location. It's just having two more units than any other player at that location, and you capture it. Uh, some locations are worth extra victory points if you're the appropriate faction. If you're playing Crix and you capture the Crix location, it's worth plus one victory points. Some let you move stuff around when you capture it, move something to a different location. So that actually saves you a unit going to your occupying forces. Some are just worth uh, a lot of resources. Fewer victory points, but more resources in your hand. They'll grant you like three command and three war at the same, uh, or three, or three war, I should say. Whereas your standard resources, unless they're the really expensive ones, are just one, two, two, two kind of thing. I can't remember, so refresh me. Capture, was that, uh, that was on your turn. You yes. had to have two more. That's what I, yep. yeah. So, uh, that's the other thing that's kind of interesting too, since capture is at the top of a turn and it has to be, you have to have two more units than anybody else at the top of your turn. That gives some wiggle room for your opponents yep. going into their turn and stuff like that. But still, combat's going to happen on their turn as well when you get to that combat phase. So mm-hmm. however that ends up at the top of your next turn. But if you're playing multiple people, that gives multiple people a chance to, if they really don't want you to have that location, to make an attempt. Yeah, the the multiplayer side is, it works well, and the rules for multiplayer combat. In multiplayer, you can either do a targeted attack. So even if there's, like in a four-player game, three other people there, you can still just target one person. Or you can do an all-out, and it'll put all your power against everybody's defense, and then everybody will total their defense and the person to the left of the attacking player, not their defense, their power, the person to the left of the attacking player will then decide how that uh, power is distributed across yours. So it works well. The mechanics, I should say, works well from two to four players. There's no, you know, mechanically or rules-wise, really broken part to this game. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've played it at two, three, and four, a couple times each at least, and everything works well, you know, mechanically. So, uh yeah, so you got your capture, your player, and uh, your orders, I should say, and your combat. Those are essentially your three phases, and they all are very simple. There's a lot that can go on in either one. Well, not really in capture, I suppose, but (laughs) in orders and and combat, but everything is written well in the rules and on the cards. Uh, So all three phases flow very, very quickly and easily. And that's one thing, too, about pointing to the mechanics of this game is once you get once you know what the phases are, you pretty much don't go back to the rule book, mm-hmm. really. Everything is available on the cards. You play the game out pretty much by reading the cards at that point. So, And that's that's pretty good. I mean, there yep. aren't a ton of games that we can think of where, I mean, unless they're simpler filler-type games, yes. But a game like this, there aren't that many games that you can completely almost put the rule book aside and not, I mean, we've played a lot of Legendary, but we're still, at least once a game, you know, referring to it for something. Yeah. (laughs) Usually bystander. (laughs) Just get out of the city. The heroes are fighting. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) From the component standpoint, it's just a big box of cardboard. Yeah. It's not glossy. It's, I think they're kind of thin, uh, but not prohibitively so. You know, there's, I'm not going to sleeve these. I think they'll hold up to wear pretty well. They could have been glossy. I would have liked 
you know, ideally something a little thicker because mm-hmm. I've, you know, I've dinged them a little bit already, but there's no like color breaking creases on them yet or anything like that. So, I mean, it's a deck builder. It's a lot of cards, you know, and they serve their purpose. <laughs> yeah. But this is where the game starts breaking down a little bit for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just cards and they are dealt deck builders but then when we're looking at the cards again text super small well yeah uh artwork super small this is a game that really could have benefited from the artwork because it it really is just just, it's almost avatar like you know chat forum avatars or you know avatar size it's so small and a lot of room is used unnecessarily in the layout of cards and the text box is huge and the font is tiny and it is just extra room that could have been used for the art and the, the sidebar where your faction is yeah. and your unit stats. I think that's definitely too big for a right. game like on the mini side that is so totally visual. You're looking at your painted figures, you know, where the, the, yeah, the, the game gives you the core rule set, but really you're always looking at your or your opponent's figures every turn. They made the artwork on these cards so stupidly small. And everything is dark. It's dark yes. dark and kind of muddy, which, I mean, could be fine if that's the whole atmosphere and stuff. But again, when you're looking at everything together. That's their basic color palette. Yeah. <laughs> but still, I mean, it's. Even level seven. Get the artwork expanded. It's still going to be dark. I, I understand that. Yeah, but at least you, there's something to kind of look at instead of. If you're going to give us that much wasted space in the text areas, then definitely expand the the artwork. But if you're not going to expand the artwork, people make the text big enough to read without straining your eyes. I mean, that <laughs> is. Heaven forbid we had bad lighting some night. <laughs> I was tempted to go a get a magnifying goes out, glass. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> Game over! <laughs> Can't read it. We're done. Let's switch to something that has LEDs built in. Yeah, I mean, the cardboard itself is fine, but the the layout is just... I mean, every decision that they could have made in the graphic design of these cards, they got wrong. That's yeah. just me. Harsh. No, I, I agree with you. I really do. It's... I From the... I mean, all the information you need is there. Right. It's just laid out wrong. It's just laid out wrong and un, somewhat unappealingly... Mm-hmm. Too. I mean, it could have been more appeal to the cards if they would have done a few different things. I mean, when it's not my turn, you know, in Magic, Star Wars, whatever, you know, I, I sure I'm planning, but I'm also looking at the pictures on yeah. my cards. Here, there's really nothing to look at except sir, your stats and your costs. Yeah. The 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 artwork is just that small and, and uh, you know underpronounced. Mm-hmm. All right, you kind of touched on this already a little bit, but rules. The rules, the book itself, I think, is pretty good. Uh, the back page of each is all the keyword definitions, and it does a good job of giving you the, the quick start rules, you know, the recommended quick start for first play. Also building around that all the rules for playing a full game with full randomization. And it also gives really good anatomies of each card. There's very large pictures. Not every deck builder is going to give you full size pictures, but some of these pictures are actually larger than the card. And it's very good detail on what each part of the card does. And their recommended setup is very straightforward. So everything, both in terms of text and image in this book, is really, really good. And there's not a lot of gray in this. There were a couple of rules drops the first time I played this with Carl, but that was just, you Carl, know, first Carl. play. Yeah. Well, it was, it was Carl. Just Carl. Yeah. Who, who cheated, who cheated badly for three games and I still beat him. 
Carl, you suck at this game. <laughs> it wasn't cheating. It was first game. So, you know, a, a few rules drops, but once you actually went to look for them, despite it being, that's right on the bubble. It's, it's 11 pages, <laughs> but there's no, no, there's no index. Uh, despite it being 10 pages, uh, everything was laid out sequentially. So what you would expect to find in any given section is actually in that section. There's no strange sidebars. There's no go to page 25 or anything like that. That's it's very well laid out. It's always one of my biggest beefs. <laughs> it's, I'm doing it in this turn. Why in this phase? Why is it not here? All right. So teachability. Why don't you uh, give yours and I'll, I'll give mine? Because I, I didn't actually read the rules. So. Yeah. Which actually points to potentially how good the rules were. Again, once you get to that point and I knew what the turn, the phases were, I didn't need to re- look at the rules. I think teachability is fairly high. You know, uh, I played it a couple times with Carl at Gen Con and we took turns kind of reading through stuff on the other player's turn to get clarification. But like you said, once you get through the book once, maybe twice and a couple proper gameplays with all your rules drops fixed, teaching is easy because there's only three things to worry about. The, the biggest part of the book outside of gameplay is the glossary and setup and card anatomy. So actual rules is just one, two, four pages. And uh, everything within those phases, there's only a couple things within each phase. So there's only maybe eight core rules that you really need to know. Everything else is just uh, phase order and, you know, proccing keywords within each phase. Okay. My aspect on teachability from the person that got taught <laughs> is also a reflection of me. Keep in mind, and I <laughs> no, admit no, no. I'm not a good teacher. Uh, no, it's. It, it, I think the one, the first night, I think I was, I was kind of tired that one night. We, the first night that you you taught it over at Jordals, but just having it laid out in front of me, not being a War Machines or Hordes person, things like trying to put a deck together, it's like, what does this mean to me kind of thing and without having to sit there and go through, like you said, well, not 36 cards, but all six of the colors potentially, or whichever ones. Well, first you got to figure out the war casters, right? Yep. And then again, that's like, what does this mean to me? Uh, and then when you start, you're kind of just staring at the game and you got your, like your four cards in front of you have no idea what the hell they mean or why you would be buying them or any of that stuff. It's a, I'd say it's a little bit intimidating for somebody probably really new coming into it. I think I just got cranky for a minute until we, until I figured it out was what it was, but I was tired. I, I fully admit that. And I was just like, well, why am I doing this? <laughs> and I think I said that once or twice. But you still came in second. Yeah. <laughs> but once you... And that speaks to the game. Even if you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> you can come in second. Uh, is that a good thing? <laughs> but, you know, once you start getting things to click, it you're right. I mean, there's not a lot... There's not... There's three phases. It's very clear what's done in those phases. The one thing is always like, oh, oh that's that's okay. Capture's done at the beginning, you know that kind of thing. You, you'll you'll flub on a couple of those things, but learning it once you get past again the the look and feel, if you want, if you want to say that teachability. I think I, I we all picked it up really quick. All right, so theme. It's it's the Iron Kingdom's theme. Each one only has four factions, so there's room to grow. But this is the War Machine and Hordes theme. It is there on the cards. It is there in every aspect of the game. You know, the Winds of War. Oh, that's one thing we forgot mechanically. At the start of each turn, each round, I should say, you flip over Winds of War, and that's going to give you a one-round uh, bonus or penalty, or sometimes a neutral. 
But there are things like Superiority, which was one of the resource books titles, Superiority. You know, all your unit names are there. There is, you know, the Warjacks and the Warlocks. They do have their proper names. The War, the, uh, I should say the Warjacks and the Warbeasts. The Warlocks and the Warcasters, they do have their names. The units are from the game across all the factions. Thematically, it is right there. It is, it is clear you're playing a version of the War Machines and Hordes game in the Iron Kingdoms universe. But for me, it just didn't grab me. All right. And let's point, I mean, just in case that nobody remembers, you actually play War Machine and Hordes. Yes. Yeah. So you are a War Machine and Hordes player. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is, and you know, I've thought about it as I wrote my review and as we talked about this a little bit, I don't know what about this does not grab me other than I prefer the minis game and this is not it. That's all I can come up with because it is mechanically a very good game. And the theme is there. I like the fluff, but I'm not hardcore into that game. I mean, I'm not like Jordal is with Warhammer. You know, I'm, I like the game, but I haven't played in over a year just because the group that I used to play with is in Roch. Nobody down here plays it. And I'm really just not that interested in to try to grow the community here. So I recognize the theme. I see everything, but it just, I would rather play the minis game than play this. It's like, I mean, the, the theme seems to be there and, but it's, it's like behind glass, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you can't quite touch it. Yes. It's there, but you can't quite touch it. And I'm not a War Machine Hordes player. So I'm coming at it from just brand new. So again, the names and all that stuff, they don't do anything for me. And f- so for me, the bigger thing is everything we talked about in the component section. I want to see big, nice, bold artwork. I want to see more. I mean, randomly, one card in, if you're lucky, 30 has a one-sentence flavor text or something like that. So, I mean, there's not a lot of flavor text on the cards. There's not a lot. Uh, and, again, you, there, the artwork is not huge. The text box is huge but small font. It's just all of these little things that just break it, right, yep. just com- completely break it. So I can see the theme. And it looks like something that, while I'm not a miniatures player, in a card version, I should really like and enjoy. And the fact that this is so mechanically sound, that this is a game that should be running away right now with with rave reviews from both of us, right? Because mechanically, we, we, we've we tried to put bullets in it mm-hmm. uh, outside of before we recorded tonight. We tried to put some bullets in this. We can't. But it's just behind glass. And it can't be touched. And, you know, I can think of a few things, but you're right. That one big thing I can't put my my finger on. Why is this not resonating when I can't break it mechanically? I think this is the game for the people that enjoy the minis game and the RPG a lot more than I do. Like, as we said, I have no interest in the... Not I hate, I just... I don't know anybody that plays it. I just found out you own it, you know, but I've had no interest in the RPG game and I like the minis game, but I've not, you know, I've not read every supplement, all the fluff and all the fiction in every supplement. And I think this is a game that rewards those people, those people that even if they don't play, cause I just read what I, my factions. So those people that buy all the books, whether or not it's their faction, so they can have the rules to know for, you know, even if it's their opponents and have read all that fluff, I think this is the game that rewards that. And I, that's not me. Yeah. I think one other thing that we didn't talk about earlier, but 
I believe we are both in agreement on is that even though it plays two to four, or if you mix them both together, you can go eight, which is stupid. <laughs> I don't think they recommend going to eight. Yeah. They just say you can you can put all eight factions in yeah. one box. But it it's most enjoyable. There's air quotes there because obviously we're having problems getting <laughs> to the enjoyable. But at two, this this is a very nice dual game. See, I'm not. I'm going to say it's enjoyable. It just doesn't trip my trigger. It's yeah. not an I didn't, any of the games I've gotten through have not been like, my God, why did I just put 30 minutes into that? I haven't walked away from any game going, I really regret buying these two boxes. It's just, there's nothing there that keeps me wanting once, you know, once a week, I'm good. <laughs> there's nothing, not like Netrunner or Star Wars or Attack Wing or Herclix where I could do that four or five games in a row. This is just like, eh, you know, if I bring it to a game day and the War Machine crowd's there, you know, you know. Yeah, bust that out. Probably good, but still, one game. It's it's not an unenjoyable game for me anyways, but it's just, like you say, eh. I don't mind it, but I'm definitely glad that I didn't try to pick it up. I mean, it's, it's you own it. That's fine. It's kind of like the same thing. Well, no, I'm not going to say that. It's not the same thing as Star Wars because Star Wars, I'm glad you bought it, and I'll play it with you, and I'm fine with whenever you want to break that out. This one is a little bit lower to Star Wars as far as it's like, I'm glad I didn't buy it. I'm glad you've got it. Yeah, I'll play it. Nowhere near something that I'd recommend to play. I'd play Star Wars and stuff. I just, for some reason, that one, Star Wars didn't click with me to purchase it myself where like we both have Netrunner mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But High Command, I've got no desire at all. Yeah, well, you talk about that. I mean, they've already announced one expansion pack for War Machine. I'm sure there's one for Hordes on the way out too. And it's going to give you more options for each detachment color set. So not only can you use just the basic, you can tweak now each detachment for your Warcaster. Again, solid mechanic, something that, you know, for me as a deck builder, whether it's this or Magic or, you know, Star Wars or any FFG game, you know, mm-hmm. you'd think I would like that. And in concept, I do. But then we run into the, but why don't I like the game? Because they're adding a few more things. They give very straightforward rules on how to add cards to your color sets when they come out. And then they're going to cross all four factions. I forget how many cards there's going to be, but they're giving you more cards. So your your detachments aren't going to grow. You're going to have to choose what you want to come out and what you're going to put in. And there are uh, card types, you know, limitations, and everything. All the standard stuff that you'd expect. Mm-hmm. Fantasy Flight, you know, three. Magic, mm-hmm. four. Here, I think it's five. You know, there's all that stuff, all that stuff that normally is appealing to me. And in almost any other game, be like, all right, bring it on. But again, here it's like, you know, you left everything on the drawing board or you took it all off the drawing board, but that left some key aspect of the theme that I cannot identify. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've kind of covered our fun factor, but uh, <laughs> you want to do fun factor slash overall or last, last impression before we move on here. Fun factor. I, I, yeah, you're right. We kind of covered that. So I'll give this as a my first two-part fun factor. <laughs> For somebody who is only moderately into the game, like me, I think this is like a five or a six. But somebody who has put a lot of dedication into the minis game and even the RPG, you know, I think this is definitely a much more fun game. But uh just for me, it's not a bad game. I just don't want to play it every week. Yeah, uh, again, fun factor slash overall for me. We can't knock it mechanically. It's it's a very solid game in that aspect. And if you're deep into the theme, yeah, you're going to like it, and it's, it's it's a mechanically sound game. That said, 
again, it's behind glass for me. I just can't touch it. I There's something there, and, and again, some of it I've already talked about going back to the component side, some things they could do that might have drawn me in a little bit more, but I don't even think that would be enough for me to say, why why isn't this also in my collection? Uh, I will play it, and we've had fun playing it. I prefer it two-player, but it's not something that I, I recommend or I will ever say, why aren't we playing? Why isn't this out on game night? There's so many games that we've got between all of us that this doesn't even come close to the top 20 games that we would think about breaking out in a few nights. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that I bring to game day or to JordalCon or something like that for the people that want to play it if they don't own it. But this is not something that even I as the owner will want to, because it's not a gateway game. Mm-mm. It's not like Dominion where you can just go with one set and it's all very simple and work in. This is a game that has an expectation on your experience with deck builders. Uh, so it's not a gateway game. It's heavily thematic to like, uh, to my mind anyways, to the point where it has a very focused group of people that are going to play it. Mm-hmm. So again, just a big, gra- a big gathering, but not like game night with our small group. No. Yeah. All right. So there you go. <laughs> there's, there's our thoughts on high command. A little conflicting in, in our own personal reviews, but that's just the way the game comes off to us, unfortunately. Yeah. Nothing bad about it except the game. <laughs> <laughs> what we're watching. The newsroom finished up on HBO. Enjoyed that. I hope it gets a third season. They, they left it at a point where it could go either way. A happy resolution and everybody moves on to their next TV gigs. Or, you know, have a third season with a different type of drama. Strike Back is still going on uh, Skinamax. So that's uh, that's been fun. Kind of, you know, hardcore action there. Well, that that really followed well. So <laughs> yeah, it's Skinamax and hardcore action. <laughs> so it's on Cinemax. I see where you're going. <laughs> it's on Cinemax, but it's, it's hardcore action, not, not hardcore. <laughs> I watched the season three of Luther. This is, uh, the Idris Elba yeah. sh- TV show. It was an excellent season. This stuff keeps getting shorter. It keeps getting tighter. It keeps getting better. This was They've something been rumoring movie potential for that. They, they, they could very well go that way because I don't think they can do much with the TV show. The TV show that have you seen the third season? No, I haven't seen any of it. Oh, I, well, you've got to check yeah. it out because it is spectacular, but the third season. I've heard awesome things, and of course, Idris Elba is one of Megan's favorite people. So I'd, I'd switch. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, the third season gave him probably, as a character, the best wrap up that Luther could have. So there's really no going forward without being repetitive mm-hmm. and kind of taking away from the end of the third season. So yeah, if you haven't watched it, definitely, definitely go get it. <laughs> All right, Rain Man. <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely go get definitely it. Definitely go get it. <laughs> Luther. Idris Alba. <laughs> yeah. Switch. Yeah. Not my underwear. The Some of the new season stuff that has started that I've been watching, Person of Interest is back. Yeah. And uh, Crazy Ones, the new Robin Williams show. I'm generally not big into sitcoms, but it's actually been enjoyable. It's Robin Williams doing you know, Robin Williams type mm-hmm. stuff. So, I mean, I laugh. I cry. It became a part of me. On the enemy side, from the dawn... I worked my way through the entire series of Fruits Basket, which was uh, surprisingly enjoyable. It was, no, I don't say surprisingly, because it, it, it was enjoyable. It was just not my uh, 
not what I was expecting. It's there's drama, but it's really you know low grade drama. It's like the two outs. It's two the outsiders. It's uh, Miss Honda is the outsider at school because her mother's died, and at the start of the series, she's living in the forest because she doesn't want anybody to know that her uncle kicked her out. And then you've got the uh, Soma clan, who they're all outsiders because they are cursed, and if they're hugged by somebody of the opposite sex, they're cursed. Well, they are. How'd they explain it? They're cursed to take on the shape of one of the animals from the Chinese Zodiac if they're hugged by somebody of the opposite sex. So they can't get into a lot of tight social bonds. Mm -hmm. And this is all kind of high school age people. So if this was on CW, like I would never have watched it. <laughs> but it, it, it's it's sounding kind of CWE, but it's actually much better than that. And then one trend that I've noticed in things that don't start off as high action or high drama is... It's like the first season is la di da, we're happy, we're kind of low key, boom, and now somebody's gonna die, shit's gonna get real, blah 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 blah, you know, and suddenly all these characters that were like, hey, this is kind of funny, is holy crap, I'm actually invested in these people, and right at the end of the second season, coming up to the true nature of Keo's curse, he turns into a cat when hugged. <laughs> But he doesn't really turn into a cat. A cat is what he's held at. His curse goes beyond that. But it's not explained until the third or fourth last step. So the last three or four apps suddenly go from, you know, this is interesting. There's good writing. There's good dialogue to, wow. I mean, characters that I didn't even think I really cared that much about are suddenly just dropping these bombs on their history. They're totally changing how they're viewed. And yeah, one character in particular. But anyway, yeah, no, it was really, really enjoyable. And now uh, I'm also working my way through Vandred, which is uh, kind of space opera. It's um, Macross Light. It's the same kind of thing. It's uh, not nearly as serious. The main character, Hibiki. Uh, well, the, the premise here is colonists left Earth X number of centuries ago, maybe. They haven't given a strong timeline. And this one particular solar system got divided up by gender. So there's this one planet that's all men. Uh, another planet, it's all women. On the male, on the male side, it's test tube by the sounds of it. It's cloning. It's vat growth, you know. Uh, on the female side, it's all artificial insemination. I don't think I use that term properly. I think I just referred to them all as cows. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's artificial. It's, you know, just it's in the body. Let, let's just keep going. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it's in the body, but it's mechanically aided. Whereas on the male side, it's all test tube, whatever. And they're, the men refer to the women as always like, you know, the great devil, you know, blah, 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 blah. Never to be seen, never to be trusted and kill always kind of a thing. Uh, and the very first app is they're getting their flagship kind of, you know, SDF one, the ancient flagship fixed and up into space and a bunch of pirates show up. And, uh, so they decide rather than letting women have this ship, they're going to destroy it. Well, that doesn't work. And the whole series is just a series of jokes on gender conflict and a lack of gender experience. So the male ship and the female ship merge to become one ship. And there's a lot of, uh, well, it's called Vandred because the males have Vanguard Mecha and the women, the pirates at least, have their fighters or dreads. So for a reason as yet unexplained through six discs, uh, Hibiki... When he's out in his van, van, vanguard mecha, uh, if he gets close enough to one of the dreads, they also merge. 
to form a Vandred, uh, a very super kind of ship, can do everything, whatever. And each woman he merges with, uh, their ship takes on a different form. So there's a lot of cheesy kind of gender-based jokes there. The first time he merged with one ship, the cockpits were merged into one cockpit. So the female pilot was right on his lap and was wiggling, 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 wiggling. And he was like, I don't know what to do, ah, kind of a thing. Uh, so there's a lot of that, you know, sexual inexperience joke. But again, you know, right near the end of the first season, they tell you why these aliens are hunting them. They, you know, they get kind of, uh, stargated, you know, to the end of the edge of the galaxy and they've got to get back. And along the way, they're meeting these aliens and that's, they're hunting them and hunting them and hunting them. But there's no thought given to them. It's just, you know, Alien of the Week, who's he going to merge with? Then how are they going to defeat the, you know, the Alien of the Week? Well, right at the end of the first season, they do explain what these aliens are. And again, it gets really dark for two laps. And then it bounces back a little bit. So I've only got, I've got like two and a half discs of that left. I mean, Don didn't give it top billing, you know. So I went in with, you know, moderate expectations. And they've been met. I mean, it, it's funny. <laughs> Hibiki's a little bit irritating because all he does is yell. He's... He's that character. Just everything he does is yelling. He's always angry, except for the two or three seconds where he has a, he's allowed to have a genuine, genuine emotional, you know, moment. And then he's like a normal person, but then he's right away again. So, uh, Vandred, yeah, it's been enjoying it. All right. (laughs) Let's see. Uh, TV side of things. Sons of Anarchy is back. So I've been watching that. Love it. Check out the comics. Huh? No, I haven't. I thought about it. I saw, I think I've only seen one out or whatever, at least on Comixology. I didn't think they had a bunch of them. Uh, but no, I haven't checked out the comics. Face Off. Face Off is still enjoyable. So always love that. The uh, makeup special effects people and the, the reality competition. Tattoo Nightmares. Have I talked about that one before? I can't remember if I have or not. Is that the one where they... Go to the two guys, and the contest is to fix it, kind of a thing. Uh, it's not a contest. It's it's uh, there. I think there are two shows like this, so I think that's the other one. And I think that's what my coworker was talking about. This one is three tattoo artists open a shop, and all they do is cover ups. So they people come to them with crappy uh, tattoos that they want to get covered up, and they do cover ups for them, and they do some amazing, amazing work. But some of the people that show up irritate the hell out of me. But it's always fun because they do extra, like they tell, they make them tell the story of how they got the tattoo and they always do these really cheesy, overacted uh, reenactments. So those are awesome. But it just irritates the hell out of me that like people walk in and they're all like, Oh my God, you got to get rid of this tattoo. It's ruining my life. It's, my career is in the toilet and it's like something stupid on their shoulders. Like how the hell, what, what, how is that doing anything in your job? Where, what, what are you doing? Unless your career is Chippendales. <laughs> Just crap like that. Or people are like, you got to hurry up and cover this up. It's the only thing that'll save my marriage. It's like, eh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Sarah, it's not going to work. Sarah <laughs> was disappointed we didn't come back from India with matching tattoos. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, I think that was relief. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. She said she'd been waiting. But uh, people that, this is, I, you know, it's again, if uh, there, there's a deeper issue. <laughs> if the tattoo. <laughs> yeah. The tattoo is not what's going to ruin your marriage. Uh, but beyond that. Once you get by, and like I said, the cheesy reenactments kind of make up for it sometimes, but uh, the three of them on that show 
are just amazing artists. So it's always fun to see. And very rarely there's like, I suppose if the tattoos his ex-wife, that, that might be a sticking point. <laughs> it's very rare that you can still see anything from the cover up or anything from the original in the cover up. I I've spotted it like a handful of times as long as we've been watching this. And I think this is the second season of this. No, maybe it's still, yeah, I think a second season or whatever, but they, they do such a great job. And these are tattoos that I know I've seen people try to take to shops where almost every shop in the world will be like, there's no way in hell that can be covered up. I've seen it happen. And they're the same type of tattoos that I've seen that happen with. And they just blow it out of the water. So it's, it's, it's kind of fun to watch. Of course, agents of shield is started up. So watching that haven't made up a decision yet. I think Megan's enjoying it a little bit more than I am uh, just from, and I guess I should have kind of expected this, but the campy, quirky, jokey side of things kind of bothers me every once in a while. Yeah, I think Coulson made a better straight man against the heroes in the movies. Yeah. But when he's trying to do the same thing and be the leader, I think he's, there are a lot of weak points in that show. Still early. I'm going to give it yeah. some time, but yeah, the the pilot in the second episode I enjoy watching Megan enjoy it more than I actually enjoy watching the show. You know, like when she gets a chuckle out of something, it's like, all right. But yeah, I'm, I'm not invested yet. So it's still very much up in the air whether or not I'm going to, this could very well end up like halfway through the season being one of those things. I'm like, you know, Megan, you could watch that without me if you want. <laughs> but, and I had to do that with the bridge and she says it got a lot better after I, I dropped out, but uh, I started watching the bridge with her and that thing just, I could not get into it i just could so I, it's one of those things where i tell her now it's like i've i've got editing to do so if you've got an episode of the bridge you want to watch go ahead and i'll just throw my headphones on so i time will tell if agents of shield will get that way too and then on movie side let's see watch the call have you seen that with holly Berry, the 911 oh. operator Everybody was saying how awesome it was, so we finally. I thought it was it horrible. It was all right one of the until the end. Stupidest movies I've seen. It was all right until the end. The end was kind of dumb, but it wasn't. I don't know. I've heard people go like, "Oh yeah, it's the end." Nonstop I was the only redeemable thing. Beginning to end, it's like, oh, "Where's yeah, really nonstop?" Nonstop, low grade. I wish something would happen. <laughs> uh, let's see. Watched uh, World War Z. Actually enjoyed that a lot more than I thought I might. Is actually the only thing again. I was not happy with the end. I just didn't like it the way it ended. It was the end you were going to get though, the way they made the movie. Yeah. Well, see, I haven't read the book yet. Read it. So I was. It's a totally well, I, I have it, and so I wasn't going into it like just better be like the book. It just I didn't like the end. Regardless, I mean, I just think it just kind of went eh, and and I I just didn't care for it. But other than that, I mean, it was it was it was a decent movie, and you know, I don't care. I'm not one of those guys that are, that are like, oh, all my zombies need to be slow. Because, honestly, that's the kind of zombie that scares the shit out of me more than a slow <laughs> shit. The, the, the damn zombies where I know I haven't done enough cardio, those are the ones that scare the piss out of me. <laughs> zombie side. Not zombie side. Zombie land, rule one. Yeah. Cardio. Uh, and I watched this uh, Sunday, Jason versus Freddy, because uh, that was a request from Don. For two bald geeks, and we're recording that tomorrow. We're going to review Jason versus Freddy. So that is my watching. What we're reading slash listening to. You know what? Before we get going here, I gotta 
I lied to you last episode by bastard by amnesia. <laughs> I can never trust your reading slash listening again. No, the other day I started quizzing you on things. Oh, really? I won't remember because this is why. <laughs> last episode, I told I told you that I kept meaning to check if Expatriates was out, mm-hmm. and I finally went looked at my Kindle on my nightstand the other like a couple of weeks ago or something like that. And I was like, huh, I wonder what I, I should go look for expatriates or something like that. So I turned it on. I'm like, and it was on a page and I'm like, well, what was I about to read? Cause it's the start of a book, but you know, first page or whatever. So I back out it's expatriates. So I, I did go look for it. I already <laughs> have it. I just never started reading it. Cause that's when I got into my, hey, I don't well, words without pictures. Not fun. <laughs> So, sorry, I forgot. But it is out. <laughs> Do you want to go or you want me to go? You go ahead on. All after, right. after your date with Al there, you can, you can keep going. Again, words with pictures. <laughs> I read The Awakening. Have you read that? It's an image title. Uh, it actually, it was, uh, it was a volume one, which I think is extremely misleading. I don't think there's going to be a volume two. It's a story arc. And let me just, I read The Awakening. Volume one, and then I read The Awakening Dreams End, which was a different story, you know, a, a continuous. So it, it it doesn't seem like it's like a monthly or anything. It's just like if this guy's got a, a, a next step in the story he wants to tell, he'll put out an arc. I really enjoyed these, and Megan is very interested because I was actually reading these while we were at Crypticon. So one night we were getting ready for bed, I was reading. She's like, What are you reading? So I explained it to her, and the other just yesterday or the day before she's like that sounded really interesting i do want to read that sometime but they call them zombies i guess it depends on your definition of zombies i mean they are reanimated corpses but they're not like brains or anything like that they're not infecting people the awakening is basically the dead come back to life the dead that have been murdered come back to life and die again after they kill the person that murdered them so it's this kind of, and they get into, they try to get into some like moral dilemma because the cops, you know, do we stop them? Cause they're getting rid of murderers. And you know, at some point, uh, and then they're trying to Wasn't contain that it. true calling <laughs> and they're trying to contain it. Right. So th- at first they're trying not to get, let the story get out and all that good stuff. Uh, but then eventually it doesn't. And when you get into dreams end, it's, you know, years or months or whatever later. And it's, uh, you know, it's widely known, so murder rate is down and all that good stuff because people know you murder somebody, they're they're coming back for you now. And, uh, so it was an interesting story and that whole moral dilemma thing in the original. And then in the Awakening Dreams end, they do the storyline of, well, what happens when a sick bastard wants to continue to be a sick bastard? So there's a serial killer that tries to circumvent you know, the whole people coming back for him and stuff. So it's kind of an interesting story again. So I, they were both very good. They were like, I want to say they're about five, six issues each, something like that. It was, it was pretty good stories. I won't get into too much more than that, but definitely worth checking out. And then of course I'm reading girls right now. You and I talked about that the other day, another image title. Yep. Luna Brothers. Brothers. Yep. So I'm, uh, I don't know where I'm at because it it's the Omnibus. I have no idea. I don't. Bus. Omnibus. So I, I, I don't know where I am in that. I'm somewhere in it. <laughs> Fairly far, I'm assuming, but I don't, I, don't, I don't remember. I didn't go back and see how many issues actually were in the thing. And that is interesting. Oh, I, 
Real quick, I remember the one thing I was going to say. Actually, uh, the waking and the waking dreams end was not image. It was uh, Xenoscope. Mm. And that was one thing I wanted to point out because I told Megan about this. Is because Xenoscope. Cheesecake. Cheesecake art. pinup art style. So that's the problem I have with it because I got volumes, right? So I got, so of course in the volumes, they, here's, here's the cover art and the alternate cover art. And it's all this crappy, cheesy pinup stuff that has nothing to do with the story. So, I mean, okay, don't get me wrong. Obviously, you know, cheesecake and all that good stuff, I'm fine with it. But it had nothing to do, like, the images had zero to do with the story. So if I saw that image on the comic. A comic cover that had nothing to do with the story? (laughs) No, but, like, just, you know, Uh, pin-up-y cheesecake, not barely dressed, if dressed kind of deal in a very good story. The story itself is Excellent, excellent. I can't. I so can't. It keeps Wonderland going. <laughs> I've seen those too. <laughs> so that kind of irked me a little bit. So and I, and, you know, like I said, when Megan was asking me about it, I was telling her about that part too. It's like, but that would piss me off, I guess, to a point because it's such a good story. And then for it to be all the cheesecake stuff. So yeah, that's Xenoscope. So girls is image in Luna Brothers, and that's the whole. This town gets sphered off, <laughs> and these this, this girl suddenly starts having or shooting out eggs and they're all clones of her. And then the, when the eggs hatch, they're all f- fully grown clones of her and they attack the females, but you know, they like the males cause that's how the eggs get made. <laughs> and they're just a bunch of naked clone chicks running around. And uh, so they're the, the survivors, if you will, from the town are trying to figure out one, how to escape, how to get out. Cause the entire town is in a sphere uh, so, and the military is right outside or something like that, trying to get in and they can't get in under the dome. With uh, yeah. Basically it's un- <laughs> under the dome with naked clone girls. That's the first thing I thought of too, is, is especially when they first showed the sphere. It's like, Mr. King, did you read dome. anything by the Luna brothers around 10 years ago? <laughs> and then there's, so there's this, and then they find this giant sperm monster in the middle of a cornfield and it's, it's very bizarre. And the artwork is amateurish. It seems like. I and, think there was some heavy acid research that went into that yeah. one. And the story is pretty decent, but every once in a while, it's just, you want to smack. Every, it's like, <laughs> it's it's so stupid, some of the things that people are doing and the reason people are getting pissed off and all this. It's just so weird. I mean, I understand, you know, you might be in a weird situation, you know, the whole, you know, man versus man thing and, and man's inhumanity to man thing and the, and the zombies and all that stuff. But this just goes to sometimes plain stupid at times it's like what the hell i don't eh. but and yet, and yet i'm enjoying the story overall so i i'm willing to see how it rounds out i guess and then the only other thing i was gonna say is we're alive just finished the uh, next chapter yesterday i think i did i read i uh, listened to that on the way home finally had a datu sighting yeah datu and he wasn't crying. Right. He was bitching. Give him a chance. He wasn't crying, though. It's only the second chapter of the season. <laughs> uh, and again. Something's going to happen to Bert, and Datu is just going to lose it. If you are not listening to We're Alive, what the hell's wrong with you? And, oh. and you're one of the few people, apparently. <laughs> but it is an awesome radio drama, or podcast, or yeah, internet podcast radio, radio drama, drama. Yeah, whatever you want to say it, which is now on the Nerdist channel, or Nerdist Network, mm-hmm. I should say. All right, that's what I got. Surprisingly, a bit of overlap. I finished X-Heroes. Yay. Uh, I, know, I saw you were uh, 
Your ending review wasn't all that great. Yeah, I'm really lukewarm on this. It was, uh. I did tell you it was like a popcorn-y read, though. I, I mean, didn't it even wasn't... get popcorn out of it. It was just husk. <laughs> <laughs> see, I'm, I ended it with still willing to see what he did, does with expatriates. I'll, I'll pick up expatriate eventually. That's yeah. kind of where I'm at. I'll need a little time away from this to let it, to let the good parts rise and the, <laughs> the questionable parts kind of go away. The best parts was really the flashbacks, which is something I normally hate. That's, fu- yeah, that's funny because that's what it's the first flashback. I mean, I think I even mentioned that when I was reading it. It's like, well, they do that thing that you really hate. <laughs> so there's lots of flashbacks. And to me, again, that actually bothered me kind of the way they did it. To me, I wish they would have just taken all those, moved it to the front, mm. and given us the full story that way. The Carax flashback where the magician turns to the demon to try mm-hmm. to yeah. stop the zombies with the infection. Yeah, I think that was my favorite part of the book. That that one little flashback chapter. There's some, you know, how how all the heroes kind of dealt with it. Stealth, I thought, was kind of stupid overall. <laughs> but Carax and oh, her big reveal was yeah. just dumb. <laughs> That was ridiculous. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, lady, but there are enough pervs out there that they will know who you are, even though you're wearing a mask, if you're <laughs> just painting on your costume. But uh, Stealth was stupid, but Carax and uh, Cerberus, not that she had a big origin story, but Cerberus was kind of cool. And uh, St. George, I, or Crimson Dragon, whatever his name was supposed to be, they referred to him both ways. Mm-hmm. He was interesting. I like St. George because he was... The hero that didn't stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could, you know, some of the other heroes, you could tell they were kind of going with the flow of, yeah, it's post-apocalypse, zombie world, things got to change, but he was still, he was still trying to be heroic and hold his people to a heroic standard. And he was a good, uh, oh, he was a good character and, and kind of a good, uh, foil for a lot of the, hey, he was, he was like Silver Age DC against post-Watchmen DC. That's, that's how I, he, yeah. he was still heroic and everybody else was kind of dark and gritty. Yeah. The only thing I didn't like about it was that he was, he was very much the Superman. He oh, was, yeah. he was very, in, he was the invulnerability and all that stuff kind of, that's where when he, when he had that one battle and it kind of looked like he was actually in trouble, that was like, Oh, okay. Now we're getting interesting. Yeah. Cause in, in him, I mean, him just out there, Oh, I'm being weighed down kind of thing. Well, yeah. Well, that's the same. Yeah. They, they did the same thing with Cerberus, but at least there was, they gave the psychological damage there. She was stuck in the suit with the right, clawing yeah. at her for 36 hours before somebody came and got her. Yeah. No, they're not going to get me, but it'll be a long read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but that's it. You know, he was Superman because it was nothing bothered him except when he got to Carax and then mm-hmm. the magical beast. And, you know, magic has always yeah. been on and off when a Superman's biggest weaknesses. So, yeah, uh, I mean, the, the flashbacks and I guess the, the final battle, that was interesting. And the reveal about uh, who Patient Zero really was. Mm-hmm. I mean... There were some good elements there, but for the most part, I was just kind of lukewarm on the book. I just, I've dipped my toe into the Pathfinder licensed fiction world here, <laughs> uh, and I just read Winter Witch it's in their Pathfire, Pathfinder Tales series. Again, just mediocre, and not because it was a bad, uh, actually, not because it's licensed, but just because it was kind of a bad story. There was a lot of parallel stories going on here that should have led the main character to realize that she was stupid. But Elisif just didn't realize she was stupid until the very end. And then the whole time she was manipulating the male lead, Declan. And Declan has a totally, to my mind, uncharacteristic response to all of this. Apparently people in the Pathfinder world are far more forgiving than I am. And I'm not even the emperor. 
And I've started Prince of Wolves, uh, which I'm only 14 pages into it. I have no idea what it is. Sounds like it's probably going to be kind of werewolfy. It's, they've got a lot of names that kind of strike me as, uh, gypsy-esque. So it's kind of, you know, I, I think it's either going to be, well, Prince of Wolves. So it's probably going to be werewolves, but <laughs> it's that kind of thing. It's either vampires or werewolves when you, when you get to that kind of stuff. I finished listening to Hard Magic. Book one of the Grim Noir. I don't know how many books there are in it. There's at least two because I have the second one. Uh, this is by Larry Correa, the dude that did the Monster Hunter International stuff. And there's a lot of the same stuff here. It's set in the 20s, somewhere between First World War and Second World War. And magic has entered the world. Just suddenly people have these magical powers. But it's not like rituals. There's some rituals, but it's not like finger wingling. It's not like high fantasy, uh, you know, kind of thing. It's more like mutant powers. Just people can do these things now. There's no, it's efforts of will. It's not, you know, chalk circle and pentacles and stuff like that. It was okay, but it very much, I assume Monster Hunter came first. And it's very much the same formula. The big, strong guy who likes his big, heavy weapon, but is much smarter than everybody gives him credit for. The hot, hot woman. That's his girlfriend. Uh, the secret society. It's all very much the same thing that happened in Monster Hunter. Only it's in the twenties with spells. It's pretty good. I mean, it's an interesting take on magic and his source of magic is pretty interesting. If this had been a standalone novel, I probably wouldn't have been all that keen on it. But given how he'd laid out what the source of magic in his world is as a possible explanation, I definitely want to get into the second book to find out how he carries that on. There was some interesting theorizing going on there. But it's, yeah, it's after the First World War. It's like I said, it's in the 20s. Japan is a rising power. Germany was defeated. And as always, Germany's got, Germany got the zombies. Uh, that, that was their power. They got reanimators, but now they are not, you know, there's a lot of historical divergence here, obviously, but it's worked into the story. And this also has like, it's got a news clip at the beginning of each chapter to show the divergence in history. Like one of them is, uh, Babe Ruth talking about how uh, he doesn't like the fact that Major League Baseball is debating banning players with powers. It's not his fault that he can hit home runs because he either hits home runs or he misses. Uh, but this is after he hit his 200th home run of the season. You know, that kind of thing. And there's like Abe Lincoln and talking about how Stonewall Jackson got his actual nickname by creating stone walls kind of a thing. And so there's these little historical things. To show the diversion from history. So Germany, not a real focus for power here. It's all very much Imperial Japan being the root of evil in this world. But again, he wrapped that all up really good too. So I definitely want to get into the second book to find out where he's going with magic. Cause it's like Monster Hunter. It's always kind of the monster of the book and what other monster hunters or what branch of the government's going to try to dick with them this, this, this book. But this, he gave a villain and he wrapped up the villain and everything. And the only thing that's left gray is the source of magic. So uh, that I was not expecting. I was pleasantly surprised. So I'm going to give that a shot. But again, like expatriates or uh, ex-heroes, got to let it settle for a bit before <laughs> I move on. As with you, we're alive. Just blew through the latest chapter today, actually. I've started listening to Desert Spear. This is the second book in the Warded Man trilogy. I think it's a trilogy by Peter Brett. I read the first one earlier this year or late last year. This is the, the world where there was the unexplained disaster and now demons come out every night and the people have learned to make wards to protect like their houses or, you know, ward their weapons to be more effective against the demons. And then there's, uh, 
the main character in the first book, he learned that he could tattoo the words onto his body. And he's essentially, from a demon standpoint, indestructible killing machine. You know, they can't touch him. But, you know, whether he's using a weapon or, or, or open fist, he can destroy them with, with, with no problems. They introduced kind of a Middle Eastern group of people in the first book. And so far, the first two, three hours into the second book, this is all focusing on the Middle Eastern dude. The dude that backstabbed the main in the first book thinks he's going to be the deliverer. This is the, the hero of legend, the deliverer that's going to finally defeat the demon. So he thinks he's the deliverer because he has this metal ruined up spear. And he's moved from, you know, the desert land into the green lands, conquering as he goes, because he thinks that's what he's got to do, because he's the deliverer, so he has to conquer the world. It's, uh, it's, there's a lot of similarities between the main, uh, in the first book and the second book. They're both young, both getting the crap kicked out of them. They're both learning about words. So, you know, that the head honcho is clearly not the deliverer, because he's a dick. And, you know, the, the, the good guy always has to be a good guy. But is this young kid going to be the true deliverer or is it going to be the guy from the first book? So it, this is a bit of a jarring follow-up because it has, at least so far, has nothing to do with anything that happened in the first book other than the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm hoping that uh, somebody from the first book shows up <laughs> at some point. You know, give me an anchor here, people. <laughs> On the comic side, I finished off the uh, the new 52 Firestorm that got canceled at 20 and I finally got to that like a year later. Eh, it was as good as it was going to be, I guess. Firestorm always gets the shaft. I worked my way through the first 18, I think, issues of Star Wars Legacy from Dark Horse. And I really regret that. Because <laughs> there was just enough interesting points there that it should have gotten better. But it didn't. And I mean, really, Dark Horse, you fought to keep this title and this is what you're doing? Just <laughs> give it back to Disney. But I, oh, I'd rather see the 70s and 80s comics come back than... If this is what Dark Horse is putting out these days, and I feel sorry for Star Wars fans. A little bit of Astro City and uh, the latest issue. Well, I, the latest issue I read. I don't know if it's the latest issue of Hawkeye. Again, I love Hawkeye. This is, I think, my current favorite Marvel title. This was, wasn't was even about Hawkeye. It was about his dog. They call him Pizza Dog. And this was set just generally in the day-to-day activities of Hawkeye, but all from the dog perspective. So the dog, it was always, every page was a new, a new event for the dog. And there'd be like the flow chart of dog reaction. And, you know, it was like human male or human female and then like human male. And it's like, you see a, a foot kicking the dog. So then the dog looks over and he's, he's growling kind of. So it's a flow, the flow chart of dog reaction on every page. It was, it was really good. There's no dialogue. There's word bubbles around the humans, but it's all very much like squiggle, 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 Hawkeye, squiggle, 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 food, squiggle, 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 you know, kind of a thing, you know, so the dog only recognizes the words that he knows. No, it was actually as a a one-shot issue, which I wish more comics would do, just a little one-shot short stories. It was really fun. It was was a really good app. Hawkeye, if you haven't started reading it yet from uh, the Marvel reboot, definitely check it out. I think the art is great and the stories are awesome. What we're playing. Let's see. Still playing the Pathfinder Adventure card game. I've got to... Take a step back, dude. Take a step back. Actually, I haven't been playing too much recently because of what the (laughs) living room looks like. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for the card table to get cleared off so I could continue my adventure. Megan wants it cleared off so it can get broken down. So we had that discussion last night. (laughs) It's like, no, I've got... I've got... I've just got to get... Uh, the druid through black dra- black fang. That's the only thing I got in that scenario left. I've walked her through everything else. So I did finally 
get to solo with the druid for quite a bit. Well, once Megan makes you put the table away, you can bring it over to my house. <laughs> we do need to. We need to do something. We need to do some campaign stuff. I really do want to do a campaign with that game. Reaching back a little bit from the game day, we played Lost Legends there. Despite what Carl says, I think that's a really <laughs> enjoyable game. It's a good game. I enjoyed the game, but yeah, some people got kicked in the nuts quick and and never recovered. So it's one of those games. Why would you put the wizard at the front of the party? <laughs> yeah. It's one of those games where if you you, you, you need to kind of catch on kind of quick, and it didn't help. Well, it didn't I help mean, that you laid yeah, out we, the, we, we busted the, <laughs> the well, third age cards in the first age. But we reboot. We rebooted. Well, yeah. He was actually doing better when I did that. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So yeah, we uh we we took a few stumbles through the beginning, but we've eventually got the full game in and we had fun with it. Got to play that one some more as well. But yeah, I I liked it. I mean, I I know Kakarl is not a fan. Most recently, you and I have been having problems getting to Jordal's house. <laughs> but we finally made it over this past Thursday and played some Mice and Mystics. Suck it scenario 2. Finally beat you fourth time. Charm. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, scenario. I think three. we just sounded really pathetic right there. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> and all of our cred is <laughs> gone. Uh, so yeah, we played a little Mice and Mystics. That was fun. Uh, while I was at Crypticon, we played You Are the Maniac and Sushi Go. And then let's see, Temple Run Two. Still playing that. Still grinding on that. Getting closer to that ten million. See, I don't mind that game that much, just because of the dailies. But sometimes the dailies piss me off. Like when it's uh, like most recently, the one that pissed me off is when it's uh, the daily is ten gems, and if you don't complete the daily, it resets everything. All your it resets your dailies yep. so that you're getting crap for completing the dailies. And when it's ten gems, and I go three games, and most of my travel, I'm doing thirty five hundred or more meters, and I don't see a single freaking gem. That pisses me off. <laughs> Other than that, yeah, it's you know, again, I yeah, I'm building it back up. I'm still not where I was before. <laughs> Saints Row Four played a little bit of that, but haven't been playing that much because Grand Theft Auto Five came out, and that's the game in the house now <laughs> that we're both playing. So we've been playing a lot of Grand Theft Auto Five. That's what I've been playing on the console or on the electronic side. I guess Diablo Three came out. Not quite sure how long ago. Uh, on the consoles, so I picked that up, and I'm enjoying that. I mean, it's Diablo. I mean, Diablo one was really good too. I thought kind of sucked because it didn't really do anything different, and I didn't like the character changes. Three, I'm really enjoying both in terms of the story and the character changes. I'm running a witch doctor right now. I'd just be interested to know what Haitian women actually think of the witch doctor. <laughs> <laughs> if there's any silent outrage out there or anything like that. And on the tablet, Shadowrun Returns finally came out. So I've been playing that. I did finally grab that for my tablet as well, but I haven't played a lot of it. I haven't quite gotten to the point where I need to report a bug, but Jordal was saying, you know, he's playing his rigor and none of his drones work, or many times his drones don't work or show is available, but un- uh, show in his inventory, but unavailable. And I ran into that with one dude that I hired. I'm playing a mage, but one rigor that I did hire showed he had three drones, but then they were never available in combat. So... I haven't gone so far as to see if there's a bug, but yeah, see, no, it's not updating since I bought it. So. See, I, I'm wondering about that because I'm playing a rigger on the PC for my Kickstarter version. And uh, 
I'm trying to remember because it's been a while since I fired it out. I should fire it up, but I seem to recall having to actually kind of deploy my drone to get it ready for combat. Well, that's so it. Going I mean, into the inventory. It, it, for him, he was saying it was, sh- it was in his inventory. But he couldn't select it. Or yeah. That, yeah. And on the dude I hired for my one run, it showed his inventory when, you know, when you hire somebody, it shows everything they've got. Showed it in his inventory there. But then when I actually got to the run, he had nothing in his inventory, just his basic gun. Yeah. So I just haven't hired a rigger since. But. Yeah. It's either that or there's also like the, when you select through stuff, there's a couple, it, it, unfortunately, I think that's the one place where they fell short. Inventory management's kind of horrible. Well, and just UI and not really having a helpful tutorial up front or even, you know, that kind of thing where it's like, I mean, they take you through that first like dream battle or whatever, but yeah. that's not enough for like, you know, having drones and needing or having a mage and needing to switch between. I mean, it's not like in that battle they say, now do this. They just kind of leave you to the battle. Yeah. <laughs> and you do, like a mage can switch between a weapon and their magic, and a rigger can switch between their weapon and the drone and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, and making sure you know all of that. So, yeah, is it a bug or is it just one more little UI thing? Like I said, I've only hired the one rigger, so I haven't really bothered to experiment with it or, or find anything online about it because my mage switching weapons i generally stick with magic but i've switched my pistol every now and then just for the variety and i mean i've hired a couple shaman and their con- not constructs their summoned creatures their spells are there and they summon and yeah. everything works so i don't I know see i don't I, know what's wrong with rigors. if i if i get to that point because on my tablet i did pick a mage this time mm. just to do something different than what i'm doing on the pc so we'll, I'll have to see if I play enough to get to a rigger. See, both these ones, you know, I'm generally not one to replay video games. You know, they replay play it on this level to unlock that, you know, blah, blah, blah. I generally do that. I just pick whatever I'm going to play it as. I beat it, and I move along. But both this Diablo and Shadowrun, I think both have replayability once I'm done the first time because it's you're just running one character, and it's not a party kind of thing. You got your swap outs and stuff like that. So both of these, I think, have some replayability. You know, changing your character class and yeah. trying different paths and so The one like that. thing I wonder about on the tablet, though, is just the fact that on Steam and on the PC, then, is all the user-created content, which greatly expands the game. So I don't know if I think that's a, why it was only 9 bucks on the tablet. Yeah. I mean, there's the, that's the part that's a little... But, I mean, lacking. when I did install it, it asked me what I wanted to play, and it said I had one content, and the, which I assume is the core story. Yes. So maybe they're gonna well we're gonna be releasing stuff for both. I haven't looked into what I would assume. So. I mean, they they are working on there because the Kickstarter unlocked two more cities. So I know they're working on Berlin right now. So I'm assuming once they get that out to Steam, then yeah, it'll you can pick it up as an extra charge or something mm-hmm. like that on the tablet. I would assume. So it'll be a whole new and it's supposed to be a whole new fully developed story arc. Because uh, they actually delayed it because they wanted to make sure it was as much story, if not you know a little bit more than the one you're playing right now. Cool, it's good to know. Yeah, I mean if it's another nine bucks or or less, since it's just an add-on and not the core game, the full game, I definitely have no problems paying for that. On the non-electronic side, I got in a really good game of Warhammer with Dreadall last weekend. It was a nail biter. It was blood and glory, so it was based on how much fortitude we had for our breakpoint. And neither one of us were running a banner heavy list. So he only had four and I had three. 
and I just started gunning for his general right off the bat because the general counted for two. And I think I was pretty close to beating him. I achieved everything that I wanted to achieve, and I anticipated everything that I thought he was going to do, and I tried to maneuver him to do the things that I wanted him to do. And I'm sure he did the same thing to me. And I got within one turn and four turns of stupidity. For all four rounds of the game, I totally forgot to move one of my creatures because I don't have the creature. It's a Forge World exclusive. It's not exclusive. It's a Forge World model, so it's expensive, so I don't have it. (laughs) (laughs) So I just had an empty movement tray as the proxy. And then on every one of my turns, I saw an empty movement tray, so an empty movement tray is to be ignored because it's not being used. (laughs) So for four turns, I did nothing with it. I moved it twice over four turns, didn't charge with it, didn't get a single attack die rolled with it, nothing. So on my fourth turn, when I realized for the fourth turn I had done nothing, I just (laughs) took it off the table and threw it across the room. So I kind of penalized myself 300 points without even meaning to. I mean, even before I took it off the table. (laughs) But that was a really good game. It was uh, really fun. It was uh, it was a bit of a nail-biter. He, his monster, he he could have ended it on the first turn, if not for a misca- uh, a uh, dispel on my part. But yeah, it was a really good game. Got in some Attack Wing and some Hero Clicks. Game of Arctic Scavengers there last Thursday over at Jordals. Uh, game of Trains also. And then two games on the, t- uh, on the PC. Cookie Clicker. This is a game you can play like for one day. It's like a web-based game, and it's just like uh, an increasing engine. You know, you start off, if you click a cookie, you get... If you click the cookie with your mouse, you get a cookie. And if you click it 10 times, you get 10 cookies. And for 10 cookies, you can buy an automated mouse. And it'll click it once a second for you. And then if you get up to 15 cookies, either through the automated mouse or helping the mouse along with your own mouse, you get another mouse. And things unlock. And everything that you unlock and buy just makes you generate more cookies every second. So it's just a matter of how long can you stand just waiting. It's like SimCity back in the old PC days where you would play it at normal speed and then put it on fast speed when you went to a movie. So like 10 years would go by and you'd have like $3 billion in the bank. It's that kind of thing, only with less concept. <laughs> you, you just you wait a few minutes as you, you, know, you get a couple million cookies made, you buy the next upgrade. And then you make, you know, 1.2 million cookies per second instead of one. And, you know, then the next upgrade gets you up to 1.5. And then eventually after like a 27 hours or so, cause I left my laptop on and let stuff go on, just did it as I was walking by the room. I was generating something like 200 million cookies a second. <laughs> but, you know, I spent a day and a half on this and I was like, uh, whatever. And the other one that I might go back to though is called Card Hunter. It's, um, been seeing a lot of people talk about that recently. It's kind of a, well, it's essentially D and D the card game. Uh, the artwork in the game is very much reminiscent of the old, uh, seventies and eighties module covers and stuff like that. And it's, it's a deck builder. You know, each character, you can have a party of three, a mage. If you balance it, a mage, a fighter and a cleric, you find a weapon and that weapon gives you different number of cards. Uh, that do different things. Strong attacks, weak attacks, strong defense, weak defense, strong spells, weak spells, strong healing, weak healing. So you balance what spells you want or what, uh, number of attacks versus number of defense. And it's all automated behind the scenes. So you, you, there's no stacking the deck or anything. So then you get into combat and you might have three turns where I have his movement cards because, you know, you've just been screwed on the shovel. 
You know, I played that on and off for a couple of days because, again, it's something you can do. You can play a battle in 10 minutes while you're waiting for something. It's enjoyable, but I haven't touched it in a week. Might go back to it because it saves your progress. Well, it's your standard. It's not a Facebook game, but it's the Facebook model of buy 30 pizza to get this, you know, pay $10 and you'll get 200 gems and you can do that. I'm not going to put any money in this game, <laughs> but if you're that kind of power player, you can do that. I thought of one more while we were talking. No, uh, we're done. Nope. Scribble Knots remixed on my tablet. I started playing. Scribble Nazi dicks? What? Scribble Knots remixed. Uh-huh. I'm not as na- as enamored with it as Jordal was when he was playing it hard and heavy. Was that like a drawings with friends kind of thing? Or? Uh, not really. It's a, it's a puzzle game oh. where you. I think I just mashed together two games. Yeah. Here. You just, you, you type in words and they appear. So like you can say Cthulhu and it'll pop up a Cthulhu and you put Cthulhu where you want, that kind of thing. But it's, it's puzzle. Every, every level is like a puzzle. Like the one I did the other night is like your, your little character is kind of the tooth fairy. So you got to figure out how to make the kid go to sleep and how to then, Ether. and then get the, <laughs> get the tooth and give them money. And you got, you do it all through objects that you create by interacting with the game. So, and for the life of me, I couldn't get him to sleep at first. And <laughs> Meg, Megan actually figured it out. Face. <laughs> well, I was doing close. I was trying. <laughs> no, not that. But I mean, and you claim to have raised a child. Wow. Uh, no, it was because uh, and there's at least two hints for each level, and most levels are pretty easy to figure out. And usually, especially after the hints. But this one was just like, well, what do what do parents do to make a kid go to bed? And I was like, all right. Well, I tried to tell him a story. Tried to you know sing a lullaby. All these kind of things and. I was like, I made parents because there weren't parents in the room, and I gave the parents the story. I kept doing, and I, you know, I put, I gave them water because I was thinking, you know, water, you know, you know, a lot of times you send your kids a little glass of water on the nightstand or whatever, and it ended up being warm milk. Megan's like, "Have you tried milk?" I'm like, "No, I tried water." And you know, it's just little things like that. So it's a time killery type thing. But I remember when when Michael was playing it like heavy, and he was just like he was proud. He showed it to everybody when he's playing it and stuff. And I'm just not as enamored with it. But it's an all right time killer. Graphic arts guy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's 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 not even like massively graphic either. It's like a step above like paper cutouty kind of you know color formy kind of thing. I mean, it's it's very it's very childish graphics and stuff like that. To me, it's just a time killer. But it was uh, they finally put out Scribble that's remixed on the tablet, and there's an unlimited summer, but it's not available on Android. So they finally did the. I think it's one of the two. It's either unlimited or it's remixed. One of the two is the one that they finally put out on Android. So I'd been every once in a while when I go out there, I would search for it and it's, it didn't exist. And then I finally searched for it last week or this weekend. Oh, it's there. (laughs) So I grabbed it. So that's that. Well, that brings us to the end. Once again, thanks for hanging out with us. I'm Jeff King. And I'm still the Canadian. Thanks for listening. Where we unleash the bomb Jeff and Jordan from coast to coast Best of the best, the number one host So put up your cups and toast Cause here the end we approach But come back for more raps More fun, more laughs More this, more that Up and down the mat Cause we geeked up And thanks for showing love We give up viewers thanks